Welcome to the Medical Management Podcast, a podcast focused on helping you level up your practice. Through interviews with some of the most successful leaders in the industry, we help uncover resources, tools, and ideas to help you level up your practice. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's program. Hello, and welcome to the Medical Management Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Arnoldson. We are very excited today to welcome today's guest all the way from Brunswick, Australia. We are joined by Peter Rains, co-CEO and founder of Neutromics. We'll get more into what Neutromics actually is a little bit later in the show, but just, you know, welcome, Peter. We're excited to have you. Excited to be here, Jesse. Thank you very much for inviting me. Of course. You're our first international guest. This is, <gasps> this is a, a, new, a new territory. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we're doing it over Zoom, so I haven't had to travel too far. Just, it's been yeah. all right. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's, it's great. Well, uh, Peter, you're a chemical engineer by a trade, right? By education? Correct. Yeah, 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 yeah. Many years ago, I did my chemical engineering degree at RMIT in Melbourne. Okay. Yeah. Well, what we do now is kind of quite related to that. I bet. But yeah, it was a lo- long, long time ago. And I suppose what I do now is co-CEO a little far removed. I don't get on the tools anymore, but right. uh, I do, I do love, I love chemical engineering. I love engineering and chemistry and how things work and biology. So it's it. a fascinating subject. How did you, you know, like you said, I mean, it's been about 20 years of you founding companies and being CEO. Mm-hmm. What, I guess, how did you get to the point where you were comfortable with this path or what was the kind of the transition moment for you to that probably wasn't where you were going to begin with, right? So what what changed? That is a good question. And you know, the the operative word there is comfort. And I think the thing that I maybe, I don't know, maybe just just by just slipped into this by some degree is I've always, I, I truly believe that the obstacle is the way. Ryan yeah. Holiday talks about it, you know, the, the author, he wrote a book on it, The Obstacle is the Way. And it's the truest thing I, I can imagine that, you know, when we go the path of comfort, mm-hmm. we don't learn and we don't grow. And right. I think when we challenge ourselves, it's hard. And in the moment, we question it. But when we look back, they're the moments that they're the times or the things that we do, the experiences where we say, I got more out of that than not having taken up that challenge. Right. So that word comfort is, uh, you know, that's, I think, something I try and not seek out too much. It's yeah. nice to have comfort, but as a general rule, you we want to be challenging ourselves. And so that's, that was kind of, to some degree, something I, I just, I, I really wanted to do just for myself is just keep yeah. challenging myself. And, and it took me in a direction of running my own business. And I, I think I like the creativity of doing that, that mm-hmm. and the freedom and the challenge and that you've got to be a generalist. It's going to challenge you in lots and lots of different areas and you've got to get good and it's an opportunity to improve, get better. Because yeah. that's the one thing you can bank I, I, in my personal view in business. No one can tell you with any certainty the outcome, right? Mm-hmm. No one has a crystal ball. The one thing you can put in the bank is that when you go down the path of entrepreneurship, you, you're going to grow as a person. You can bank that. That's a guarantee. That yeah. will happen. I love that. I love the fact that there is certainty in this business and mm-hmm. that's it. And so that's that's kind of my path is I've tried as much as I can to, to just every day make sure it is challenging and I'm spending my time in, in the right area. Yeah. You know, I doing the right thing. And, and basically I started in skincare 
And I came to the conclusion, I did that for years. And, you know, we had uh, multiple brands and went full circle, we sold it. But my heart, I can't say my heart was in that. You know, it's that last bit and do and do something with your time that you got to look back on and say that was well worth my time. Right. And that, that was a tough decision, but, you know, that led to what, what I'm doing now. And this does tick all the boxes. And, yeah. and it was tough to make that pivot. In. You know, everyone gets to a point in their career where they, they get to a crossroads. And for some, it's the right decision to go in another direction because, because of lots of different reasons. But right. the, I had that moment and, and took that different path and was so glad I did. So good. Uh, that's probably a long-winded answer to your question. No, <laughs> I love it. I love it. it, it I think that it it couldn't have been a simple answer, right? Like it couldn't have been this simple moment where an apple fell on your head and you just were like, oh yeah, no, I want to be a CEO rather than a <laughs> chemical engineer. These are these yeah. are real life experiences and, and spread out over time. I'm excited to get into what you're doing right now. One last question before we get into to kind of current space. Did you ever feel, you know, what's been described as kind of that imposter syndrome where you you know, maybe you you were the the founder and then you're the CEO and you're sitting there wondering, oh my gosh, I wasn't trained for this. I don't know exactly what I'm doing. And I can't tell anybody that because I need people yeah, to believe in me and yeah. trust me. Did you ever feel that? And how'd you get over it? The answer is yes. And I think it is true to varying degrees for just about every entrepreneur mm -hmm. that this notion that everyone else got their act together, they know yeah. more than I do. You know, that is just, maybe that's the human condition. I don't know, but it's very it common, is. right? Yeah. And for me, that's lessened over time. And, you know, I think just experience tells you maybe that's not the case. You know, you see it. Yeah. You see it enough. I mean, there are great people that do great things, but everyone, everyone's has their challenges. Everyone has things that they know and things they don't know. And that's totally okay. In fact, that's authentic. When you can mm -hmm. say that, that's authentic, right? And I think that's, it's maybe it's a movement to authenticity that, you know, the imposter syndrome in a way is driven by an idea that you need to know everything, that you need to be at some artificial level. And, and I think over time you realize, well, is that authentic? No, no, it's not authentic. It's not real. We know that's not how people are. Right. And I think, you know, they you talk about the, you hear the concept that you peel back the layers, right? Mm-hmm the layers of ourselves and, and that we put on to operate in this world. And I think we're moving to, when you do that, you, you're just moving to more authenticity. You're a comfortableness in your own skin to say, I'm enough. I'm okay. You know, I, I know, I know certain things and I'm going to be learning for the rest of my life. Right. Yeah. I hope so. You know, yeah. and, and that's great. That's not a bad thing. That's a great thing. So, so the answer is yes, to some degree, maybe certain circumstances more than mm -hmm. others, but you know, maybe in large groups, you know, where you feel you might get judged more than in one-to-one -one interaction with someone, you know, for example, yeah. Or yeah, you know, someone might write something in the media, and and you know, uh, and you're concerned, and so you put on a facade. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I just think I love when I talk to people, and and you're just getting, you feel like you're getting the authentic self. Like yeah. that's attractive. That's nice. You know, it's really refreshing. So yeah, but there's always an element. You know, there's no not many things are black and white, right? There's always yeah. shades of gray in this. And I think I think you're right. I think it's absolutely okay it, it leads to authenticity it probably leads to a little bit of the humility that you need to be open to new ideas and thinking that you don't have any expertise in or don't know about it otherwise if you think that you've got it all then you're going to be 
you're gonna have blinders on and miss a lot of opportunities i would think so exactly as long as you don't let the imposter syndrome make you I guess, self-conscious or give you anxiety, as long as it's pushing you to <laughs> yeah. be open, be humble, be authentic. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's- you know, what? you know, in a way, if that, if someone feels that strongly, that's the challenge, yeah. right? And yeah. that's good because that's something you can overcome. And every time you overcome something, you, you, you're better, you're stronger. So yeah. it's not, the challenges aren't bad that whatever they are. Right. But mm-hmm. It's just acknowledging them and then doing something about it. That's important. It's what are you going to do about it? That That's the question. Yeah. Yeah. It takes that action, right? Otherwise you're just sitting there nervous, scared that everybody else knows more than you. you there, yeah. there ha- it has to drive some action there. Yeah. Well, thanks for letting me go down that rabbit hole. I appreciate it. I don't think that any of us are ever born to be a leader, born to be CEO, you know? And so it, it, it's fun to look at other people's paths, especially early on. Well, Tell us, Peter, a little bit about Neutromics. What what do you guys, you know, what's your, your main focus? What's something that can get us excited to hear about? Yeah, well, I think we're doing something pretty exciting where yeah. uh, <laughs> we are developing a wearable device that can monitor any molecular target continuously and in real time. Yeah, so what let me does put that to, mean? Yeah, what but, does that mean? That's, yeah. that, that sounds like a nice tagline, but what is it? <laughs> <laughs> so why is it important? So just to give you a visual in your, in your mind of what we're talking about here. So it's a patch similar to, I always anchor people to continuous glucose monitors mm-hmm. if, you, if they're familiar with that. So a small patch worn on the stomach or the arm for diabetics. It's actually revolutionized the management of diabetes, this technology, Dexcom, Medtronic, Abbott are the main players. And it's it's a sensor that monitors glucose continuously. So instead of diabetics pricking their finger and then right. and then you using a strip and then measuring the, the glucose, yeah, which everyone hates because oh, you yeah. want to prick their finger multiple times. There's 420 million diabetics. They all, every single one of them hates it. Mm-hmm. Um this is a way you look at your phone and you'll know what your what your glucose rating is 24/7 and it's and there's lots of data because it measures it typically every 5 minutes so you yeah. can see trends you can see lots of things and that's amazing so Dexcom is a 55 billion dollar company they just do CGM right that that's to give you a gauge of the value mm-hmm. that this technology that the market's giving to companies in this space yeah. so why am i telling you that i'm telling you that because that's a wonderful technology, but it's limited to one thing, glucose. Yeah. Our technology can do any molecular target. So, and we can do more than one thing, one target on a patch. So that opens up massive opportunity because there are overarching problem that clinicians have is that they lack timely and actionable molecular data. Right. There's always been the case. Right. So clinicians will have a patient and they want to know a status of that patient, for example. And so they will often take a blood draw. It'll go to a lab. It'll come back. And maybe a few hours later, 12 hours later, they'll get a result. Right. Now they'll get one data point at 12 hours ago. And they're trying to make a decision on that patient now in real time. Now that's completely unsatisfactory oh, to, yeah. typically, right? Because you can imagine it's the equivalent of trying to look at a painting with a few dots and then trying to figure out what, what the painting is. It's very limited, right? So that causes lots of problems. Literally hundreds of thousands of people die because clinicians don't have timely and actionable molecular data. So what we're doing is solving that problem. So we're saying instead of that clunky, old, archaic system, we're going to give you real-time data 
on lots of molecular targets. And instead of one data point every 12 hours, you'll get one data point a minute. So you're going to see all the trends. You're going to know everything that, that you want to know from a molecular standpoint while you stand in front of that patient. So yeah. let me give you some more meat on the bone, right? So yeah, I'll give you some applications here. So therapeutic drug monitoring. So one in five patients that go into US hospitals are dosed with an antibiotic called vancomycin. So this is really common, 6 million Americans, 6.3 million Americans yeah. every year. Now, it's, it has a narrow therapeutic window, right? So a clinician has to get you, if you went into hospital, they're going to try and get you into this therapeutic window. It's very narrow, but it's also got high toxicity, mm. right? And everyone, you can't give everyone the same dose and get the same concentration at, at the site of interest. Right. So the way that you, your body weight, your kidney function, all these variables affect the concentration of this antibiotic. So it's really challenging. So what they do, they take these blood drawers and they do what I just mentioned before, 12 hours, a few hours later, they get the result and they try and predict it. Now, the outcome of that is 60% of the doses don't hit the therapeutic range. Now, remember what antibiotics are used to kill bacteria and bacteria are often life-threatening. You might have yeah. sepsis, you might have MRSA, you might have some disease that's fast moving and is they're trying to save your life. Right. Now, 60% of the doses don't get into the therapeutic range, which means they're completely useless. So you are at risk of dying from a out-of-control bacterial infection. Mm -hmm. But worse still, 10 to 20% of patients get a toxic dose because in trying to get patients to this therapeutic zone, often they, they just go too high yeah, and they give a toxic dose. And then that often leads to an acute kidney injury because this is renally cleared. And that's one of the top 10 killers in hospital, AKI, acute kidney injuries. So they are, so clinicians have this dilemma because they've got the blindfold on that they can't properly dose certain drugs. This is really right. difficult. So our solution is, is basically you put a patch on and instead of one data point every 12 hours, they get thousands of data points an hour. They get real-time data. So they walk up to the patient, their ability to get them in the therapeutic zone in the first instance, but then keep them there and outside the toxic zone is huge, greatly enhanced. It's the equivalent of taking the blindfold off. Yeah. So that, that's one application, but there are dozens and dozens of applications. When you can monitor any molecular target continuously in real time, you can literally transform healthcare in the way that it's managed you can do things like remote patient monitoring that could never be done before. For the right. 800,000 Americans that have heart attacks that get sent home, they're at high risk of a second heart attack with zero monitoring. The ability to monitor, say, troponin and BMP to give an early warning of a next impending heart attack, that's critical. That, yeah. that, that'll save thousands of lives, just that alone. For kidney transplant patients, instead of having to move closer to a hospital so they can get their creatinine measured, which is a, a marker of kidney health, that, that's hugely problematic for lots of people. In fact, lots of people need to move home to live near a hospital to have this testing. We have a creatinine <laughs> sensor. They can be sitting watching TV at home and a clinician anywhere in the world can jump on their computer and have a look at their creatinine level at, at any moment in real time and continuously. That's the kind of transformative technology this is. And they, they are, that's the tip of the iceberg. There are dozens and dozens of applications. Right. And each one of these applications isn't a new product. We have one patch and we had one new sensor because we have micro needle arrays. We have like 20 little needles. Each mm -hmm. one of those is a different sensor. So we create a new sensor, which actually isn't that expensive for us to do that. And we have a new product. 
but it's on the same patch. So we're not yeah. spending two years and, and $20 million creating a whole new product. We leverage one investment over and over and over again because we just add a new sensor. It's chemistry. We add a new chemistry to the end of each of these needles and that's a new product and that's a new product and that's a new product. So that's the exciting wow. thing is that we can do this economically at scale and we can do it fast and we can pump out lots of sensors. It changes the paradigm. In, in the last 40 years, there's only been five sensors that have ever been proven to work on body. Glucose is the main example, right? 40 years. Right. In the last four years, we've more than doubled that in four years, right? So that, that's the power of a platform. We, this is a yeah. platform technology, right? And we are, that's just the start. We're ramping this up to 30 a year, 40. We can do 60 a year. This, this is scalable. So mm -hmm. this is basically we're creating a machine to pump out these sensors and we're taking out bottlenecks throughout the whole process. So we have an optimized system that can pump out lots of sensors, solve lots of problems. And our aim is to have a catalog that is a big catalog of sensors yeah. that we can then deploy in all these different areas really quickly. That's incredible. Peter, where does the technology sit now? Like what stage are you at in development? We're working towards our manufacturing. So right now we're, we've designed our, we've got a four and a half thousand square meter. Don't ask me what that is in feet. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> square meter. Uh, oh yeah, I wouldn't even take a stab at it actually. Yeah. Facility, we're talking to numerous governments around the world about where this is going to get located and states in Australia as well. So as I mentioned, we've, we've got a dozen sensors already developed. Yeah. There's 10 papers on it. So anyone listening can go look up the papers. This is not aspirational. This is data is in published research journals. And we're moving at velocity here. This is this is where, you know, when we speak to others in the industry, this is where everyone in the industry knows this is continuous molecular monitoring. That's where our future lies. It, right. it just solves so many problems. Right. So it's a race, basically. And you know, we think we've we're well placed in that race, and we're ramping up our capital raising so that we can go at velocity and we can compete with the biggest and best here. So yeah, the winner isn't just going to be the one with the biggest catalog. It's going to be the most well-funded company that can get to that tipping point earliest. Yeah, you know, gonna, there's going to be a dominant platform in the market. Our aim is to be that dominant platform. You know, and it's a little bit like the early days of the internet here, where mm -hmm. there were numerous players and a few then one or two dominate afterwards. Yeah. Literally, this is the vision. This is where we're headed. And we will use, you know, it will be ubiquitous. We will use a patch to monitor. This isn't just in healthcare. This is consumer as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There are too many health benefits to the consumer. Prevention of diabetes, prevention of cardiovascular disease, early diagnosis of cancer, early diagnosis of a whole range of disease states that now are really poorly done. Um, yeah. The ability to do that is something that I, mean, I can't imagine a future where we don't do that. It, right. it, there's too many benefits. So this is where we're heading, but it is a race and we're just trying to position ourselves as the leader in that. I love that. Peter, can you, you know, you spoke to, I think the early parts of testing and, and where this has been and now where we're, where we're heading is this wearable patch. Is there a next step or two down the line of evolution that, you know, using your magic, where does this go past what you're trying to do now? Where does the evolution take us? Well, it takes us initially, our vision is a world with zero preventable deaths due to a lack of time in molecular patient mm -hmm. data. That, that's our vision, right? So we go where we can save lives first. 
Yeah. And that, that's in the hospital system. So inpatient, outpatient applications. Mm. People are dying today because this technology doesn't exist and they get overdosed, they get acute kidney injury, they get misdiagnosed because it's too slow. This goes on and on and on. They mismanage so their diabetes, all these things, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, this happening in real time right now, right? So mm. that's, we feel a moral imperative and we use that word a lot to get this to market as quickly as possible for that reason. That's where we start. Where we go to is consumer. Because if we can not have people go into the hospital system in the first place or delay that, there is a massive advantage in doing that. You know, in my view, and I think a lot of people's view, we have such a reactive healthcare system and it needs to change and it needs to be far more preventative, but we need the tools to do it. Lifestyle-related chronic diseases, for example, is a classic. We need tools that change, help people change behavior. You know, just telling people to eat less and exercise more is useless. It doesn't work. Yep. No, it, it doesn't. doesn't. I think we've, we've got enough evidence to show that that is not, that's not, surely that's not the best we can do. We can do better. So real-time biofeedback helps people change behavior. Personalized, actionable, real-time biofeedback moves the needle. It's been shown many times. We need something. That's what we can do. So there's some big picture things, but where I'm really excited about is closed-loop systems. So a closed-loop system is, you know, we talk about personalized medicine. Mm -hmm. And what do we mean by that? So a good example is the artificial pancreas. So the artificial pancreas, for those of you who don't know, is basically the monitoring of glucose. This is for diabetics typically. The monitoring of glucose and the dosing of insulin all in an optimized system combined. The computer is doing all that consistently, right? And keeping the person into a certain range. Now, the way it's done at the moment is clunky. You measure your glucose, you calculate your insulin, you pop the insulin in, and it's all, it's very kind of archaic, right? Right. So the artificial pancreas is basically allowing that to be optimized. That's a huge benefit to diabetics, having that done. Now, it needs to be all the checks and balances, and that's why we don't have it yet because that's all happening. But that's undoubtedly going to happen. That's inevitable. That's going to happen. And when it does happen, it'll be a huge step improvement in the management of that disease state. But to do that, you needed to be able to monitor glucose continuously first. Right. Now, us being able to monitor any molecular target means that we're cracking the key part of thousands of closed loop systems all throughout healthcare. Right. There's, there's thousands of opportunities to do that. Like I gave an example of vancomycin, right? So when you mm-hmm. go in the hospital, you get, so they still give a bolus of vancomycin. They're still injected IV vancomycin. Even if you monitor it, you're still giving a bolus injection, right? So this is an example where you could have a pump that administers vancomycin. So it's continuously monitoring and continuously administering vancomycin at smaller doses, but it's optimized so that you're right. keeping someone in a therapeutic zone. They're not going out of it, up too high. And you're not overcorrecting any one way. Overcorrecting. Yeah. So you can imagine right now it, it's like a, you know, it's up, down, it's all over the place. Yeah. The toxic it looks zone, like a heart then, monitor, right? Or a, yeah, a, a it's all over the place. Earthquake. Right? <laughs> yeah. But you can imagine a closed loop system. You can almost keep someone on a straight line in a therapeutic zone, right? Mm. Just, just keep them there mm-hmm. because you have precision dosing for an individual now. And so that's an example of a closed loop system, but there are literally thousands of, that's just a drug, one drug, one example. There are thousands of closed loop systems, but they all need the first piece of the puzzle, which is monitoring. Yeah. And that's where we come in. And so the second bit, I don't know that we're going to be, we're ever going to be a therapeutic company. We're probably not. 
right? right? But by solving the first bit, now all these drug companies, or not only just drugs, but all the clinicians and a lot of the med tech companies can mm-hmm. come in. And now they've got the information to solve the second bit, which is the therapeutic part. And then we have closed loop system. And then you have precision medicine. And then you have better outcomes. Yeah. And then you have cheaper costs because you're not wasting, you're not going down ineffective paths with treatments. So that's, right. that's kind of a vision, I think, that we've been, the world's been talking about and promising for a long time, this idea of personalized or precision medicine. And we get a bit of it in oncology and in different areas. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think we can take that to a completely different level and have it far more ubiquitous than what it is at the moment. And we need it and we should have it. Absolutely. Peter, this is incredible stuff. I'm so excited to learn about it. I'll be honest, science was not where my heart was in school and I had a hard time paying attention, but I feel just excited listening to you speak about all of this. This is really incredible to think about where we're heading in medicine. And hopefully we can get to that point of precision medicine, both monitoring and therapeutics. Well, Peter, and to our listeners, we're going to be back this next week. We're going to close right now and and have Peter back on next week. Peter, thank you for being on the show. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jesse. Yeah. And to all our listeners, you know, thanks for tuning in. We hope that what we've spoken about today can kind of pique some interest and and get you excited and also kind of help you in your own path of figuring out what kind of leader you are. Tune in next week. We'll have Peter back. And for anything else, show notes, other episodes and and other services that MedMan provides, visit us at MedMan.com. We'll see you all next week. Thanks for tuning in to the Medical Management Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's featured guest. For the show notes, transcripts, resources, and everything else MedMan does to help you level up, be sure to visit us at medman.com.